0: mindfulness mode really is so simple and it's as simple as breathing and it's as simple as riding a bike
1: reach new heights of calm focus and happiness here on mindfulness mode with me your host and mindfulness life coach Bruce Lankford mindful tribe I've read lots of books I've had lots of authors on we talk about mindfulness we talk about getting grounded we talk about habits and today I have an author on who has created a book that is just so interesting and compelling and different unusual and it really grabbed me. It was a lot of fun to read and it's about habits it's it's you know that topic of routines and that kind of thing but it's framed in a very different way that I think you will find refreshing. The author I have on today is Rodney C. Burris. Rodney, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am totally in mindfulness mode. Bruce, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, really, truly. And I just want to share a bit more about you, Rodney, with Mindful Tribe. And Rodney C. Burris is an expert at team building and program development. He teaches workshops across the U.S. and abroad. He holds a psychology degree from the John Hopkins University and a master's in nonprofit management from Capella University, and like I said, he's author of a book, and this book is called Get Off the Cycle and Run, and I had the pleasure of recently reading this book, and it just really spoke to me, and Rodney has a quote that I want to share with you right now, and the quote is, to inspire means to fill someone with the urge or ability to do or feel something. That's one of Rodney's quotes. Rodney, what does mindfulness mean to you? Let's start there. There is a monk by
0: the name of, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce his name, Bruce. I think it's Thich Han or something. That's right. Yeah, yes. Thich Nhat Hanh, yes. I first became aware of mindfulness. He was having a conversation with Oprah. And um, one of the things that he shared was he would go for these walks And the walk was never about the destination. It was always about the journey. And the walk would take as long as it needed to take. And every step he was trying to be present in that moment. And I don't know why out of all of the years of hearing about mindfulness and hearing about being attentive and is one thing to kind of be physically present, but you may not be mentally there and all of those sort of things, that conversation that's uh, Mr. Thich Nhat Han, Han and Oprah had together, it sunk in. And it was that was my start. That was about seven years ago, Bruce. And that was my start to really become aware of what does it mean to be mindful of how I'm showing up in this world, of how I'm communicating, of what my thoughts are, what are my feelings telling me, but better yet, how am I choosing to define any experience over quarantine, Bruce, I, I cut my foot oh. um, last year. Uh, my my dad and my sons we actually built a shed in my in my backyard in my on my property, yeah. and while we were tearing down the shed and putting up a new one, um, I cut my foot pretty badly out there, Ooh. like kind of being seated for some weeks, going up and down my stairs, kind of scoot scooting backwards, you know, um, not really being able to walk thinking that I can stand a little bit trying to wash dishes or whatever, Mm foot just aching and swelling up. And it's very easy to say, man, bad stuff always happens to me, man. If it's not one thing, it's another. That's a choice, right? Um, How I chose to view that, Bruce, is, um, you know, for better or for worse, it took me a little bit longer to appreciate in full transparency with everyone to share this mindfulness moment with us. It took me a little bit longer to appreciate the gravity of the situation that we were in last year, uh, kind of worldwide, globally, you know, just kind of state shelter in place, stay at home. It took me a while to really internalize that. And what I realized is that Me having a hurt foot like that, it kind of kept me grounded, it kept me out of harm's way, and I chose to view kind of like, you know, bumper pool or or kind of like things like a fence a little bit if I wasn't aware enough to not run out into the street right for whatever my reasons were or not. I had something that allowed me as I came to grips with the gravity of what was going on to just stay put. And I think that that mindfulness, Bruce, kind of just being intentionally aware of how I'm choosing to, vi- to define interactions, moments, uh, events, is one of the things that that just really can lead to a healthier and better life. And it's something that I hope to share.
1: Well, I hope your foot's a lot better now, Rodney. Is it's it better? Lot, yeah, it's a lot better. That was, like, it was almost a year ago now. So yeah, foot's a lot
0: better. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Rodney, I've done a lot of work in schools with bullying prevention, and I know you have a passion for working with kids in schools and you love Baltimore. Tell us about Baltimore and what what you love about it and the kids yeah, in the man. schools there. So
0: Baltimore is a city that has a lot of bumps and beauty marks and bruises and promise. Um, and I, I went to a great you know, internationally known University Johns Hopkins and what happens with people that go to my school. So Baltimore attracts 20,000 students from around the world, best of the best cream of the crop. You know, we're we're playing your Cornell's and your Brown universities and your, you know, with the, that that's our league of folks that we interact with at Hopkins. And people come to Baltimore, spend four years of a phenomenal nightlife, phenomenal college, those early 20s, roaring 20s if I may. And uh, then they leave, right? And so Baltimore experiences a brain drain every single year. My wife also is a graduate of Hopkins, and we chose to stay put. Mm-hmm. Um, we chose to stay put, and I got involved in the school's kind of an accident. I was looking for supplemental income. I was working in nonprofits when I graduated. I looked, found supplemental income and Um, It had me traveling around to schools around the country, doing workshops and working with guidance counselors and talking about financial aid and life after graduation. And what I realized, Bruce, is that regardless of the socioeconomic levels, regardless of public or private, if I was in the Midwest or out West or up North or down South, um, schools, the better schools was never based on, it seemed, on funding on the type of technology was there it seemed to be based on two factors one parent involvement mm-hmm. and then two systemic support right so the principals could, can or cannot do so much the guidance counselors can do do so much teachers can do it so much but if the system there supported the school the schools seem to thrive even if they didn't have a lot of money right they just yeah. came up with creative ways to bridge those gaps and I realized then our situation in Baltimore with schools and funding and things of that nature, I thought for years it was teachers and we need more money, we need more books or we need whatever it is. I took those learnings, right? Those outcomes, Bruce. And I began to go to the school board and go to our state's capital and submit testimony. And before you know it, I found myself in the schools every week, every month. Um, I've literally done work with our school CEO a few different times I've helped implement something we had a free supper program for citywide schools several years back I was a major part of that and so it has been my honor to allow people to see that we actually have the stuff to create these different and better outcomes. We, we often look for those better relationship experiences, better school environments. You know, but whatever better is, whatever that I want to attach at the end, we look for it outside of ourselves, but a lot of times, and it seems so simple that we miss it, it is right here. And so figuring out how to tap into it, because if I'm given a brand new relationship, the brand new books, the brand new buildings, the brand new, whatever it may be, but I'm the same person approaching these these new things, they're eventually going to kind of, you know, fall back into the ruts that it was before. So that's the work that I've been doing with teachers and students. And uh, I I enjoy it, it comes from my heart, man.
1: Well, speaking of the heart, I know that you have a heart for helping people. And maybe one of the reasons for that is the way you grew up. I know that you, you grew up with some challenges, you spent some time in a homeless shelter. What was that like living in a homeless shelter for a period of time? Man, Bruce, so there were these red cups not the red cups that people use for
0: parties these days. They were plastic, but they were hard plastic and kind of translucent a little bit. Um, and what I remember about those cups, Bruce, is the taste of powdered milk mm-hmm. that, had been, that had water added to it. I would never heard of powdered milk before then. And I remember sitting down one morning, we had this bowl of oatmeal and these red cups. And it was like, it's milk in there. And I was like, okay. And I went to drink the milk and it tasted like no milk I've ever had in my life. I was like, what is this? Yeah. That experience for me as a seven year old colors my experience in a homeless shelter. Uh, We were in a room with multiple people in bunk beds. Uh, We were in downtown Jacksonville, Florida. What happened was, my mom and my dad uh actually experienced a pretty violent domestic violence uh domestic violent episode Mm -hmm. um and uh i always kind of you know feel a little personal about sharing this but i I share it i share it all the time because it comes from my heart and it helps shape me and my dad has given me permission to share my mom has given me permission to share but it still touches my heart, Bruce. Um, So what happened was my dad came home after being gone for several days, kind of over the weekend. My mom uh, was holding my baby sister at the kitchen table, trying to complete homework for some college classes. So she had went back to school, trying to get her degree. So she's holding my little baby sister. um, And my dad comes home, argument ensues. Where have you been? Where's the money? Such as, and they're just kind of going back and forth. And my dad picks up uh, a mop, according to my mom, swings the mop across her face. Uh, he goes and lays down on a couch, passes out, right? Sleep, tired, whatever. And my mom, Bruce, was fed up. And so she decided to take the red gallon of gasoline and burn him in the house up, just be, oh, no. be done with it. In the moment of preparing everything for that, she felt like she had her own mindfulness moment and she heard something within her say, this is not what you wanna do, you're not crazy, you're not crazy. She had a breakdown, she cried. She woke up the next morning, she packed me and my sisters up. I was uh, maybe in the first grade at that time, first or second grade, something like that. Um, going to a private school in Baltimore, uh, Bethel Christian Academy. And um, she put me in the car with my sisters, put my uniform on. And instead of turning to go to school, she drove Bruce until she felt safe.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's how we ended up from Baltimore, Maryland to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Wow. it's a long drive. It's a long drive. She stopped there because, according to her, man, she says, Bruce... I got out the car to pump gas, and it was warm outside. Now in Maryland, it was snowy, slushy, you know. Yeah. She said it was warm outside and she felt safe. Uh, and that's why she stopped. There's also not many other places to go after Florida on the highway. If you just drive down 95 South in in, in the United States, you know, it's nowhere to go after Florida. But so he right. also didn't have that choice. But yeah, so we stopped there, man. And somebody she went to get some services to get some help and a lady was like well ma'am you know Miss Burris you know that you're homeless. My mom was like no I'm not, I have a house that such and such and such and she was like sweetie that house is in Maryland, you're in Florida, you said that you have no plans to go back. You don't have a home right light bulb eureka moment and uh we lived in a car for a little bit our refrigerator was the styrofoam you know like cookouts and like that you have the styro that was our refrigerator in a car for a while uh we eventually moved into that shelter we moved we moved we moved we moved every couple of years just moving 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 never having friends that i grew up with never having a neighborhood that was my part of town never really feeling connected to any group um, always feeling like the outsider, always starting over. And it wasn't until Bruce, we were gra- I was graduating from high school on my way to Hopkins, and I kind of had my own mindfulness moment. And I was able to sit back and realize that we weren't just moving. We were moving socioeconomic levels, if, if I may say that, we were moving neighborhood types. And we went from the car to the homeless shelter. So by the time I graduated, I was in school with people's people who parents were CEOs. And and this was all in Florida on my way to Johns Hopkins University. My mom put in a phenomenal amount of work. And I uh, it's my honor to write this book in her honor to share mm-hmm. our story. My dad and I have a phenomenal relationship now. Uh, we were able to grow through, and it was bumpy for a bit, but we were able to kind of sort through those things, and it feels good to be here.
1: Well, one of the things you mentioned in your book, Rodney, was that your father had actually dealt with substance abuse, and he had moved through that. How did he do that? What was What's the story there? Well, my dad, to me, and I guess every kid thinks their dad is a hero,
0: right? My dad, Bruce, had this awesome ability— to use a large amount of substance and be extremely functional in this world Mm. so much and and that was a that was in large part i'm sure to physiology and genetics and all of that stuff but his mindset he taught me we don't use the word can't we don't use the word quit um and if anybody says i don't think you can that's Really, an invitation to demonstrate to them that that plus more is possible. He said those phrases to me, Bruce, hundred and fifty thousand times. Right? Wow. And so when he quit, he literally decided to stop. No. And how
1: old were you at that time?
0: I was. I was a man. I was married. Oh, oh God, <laughs> yeah. adult, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did
1: you see him as you were growing up? Was he a father figure to you as you were growing up? Yes and no. Uh, He was in and out of
0: my life in and out of those. So all of those times moving, 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 moving a year and a half. He'll be there seven months. He wouldn't two years. He'd be gone. He'll be back for three months. Um, He actually moved from Baltimore down to Florida with us for a stint left and went back to Maryland. So here's the story. I told everybody i had good grades bruce i was one of those kids that you know I, I did well on your standardized test and those things and yeah everybody was like well young man what do you want to do when you grow up you know and i didn't know i didn't know what i wanted to do and so eventually i just told started telling people i wanted to be a doctor right doctor or lawyer i don't want to do law so be a, i I not know i didn't know i just picked it um and when I was filling out my test score, the where, where we wanted to have our SAT and ACT scores sent, our standardized test scores, um, one of the choices for me was Johns Hopkins, and I, I didn't know anything about the school, I didn't know it was a good school, but it was in Baltimore, and my dad was in Baltimore, oh. I wanted to find my daddy, and so I told everybody I was going to, I got accepted to the school and all that kind of stuff. And I told everybody I was going to be a doctor. That was a cover. I was going to find my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that had some bumpy bitter water in that because I did find him. He was strung out at some times. Um, he did come. I remember one time Bruce, he came to my home in my home was an apartment when I was a college student. Uh, he, he was like, son, can I just see you for a little bit? I was like, sure, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Met him out at the corner of some street. We walked to my apartment um, and he had bags, Bruce, of clothes, old, stinky, smelly, dirty clothes that he just Mm. was not able to wash. And uh, he left, they were huge. I had a small studio efficiency apartment. He was like, all right, I'm gonna leave these here. I'm gonna go and, you know, take a couple of days, handle some stuff and I'll be back for them. I had kept those clothes, Bruce, for like seven months, man. Wow. I, they were in the middle of my floor. I couldn't move around them. He never came back, wasn't able to find them, didn't catch up with them for another two or three years after then. Um, eventually, at the end, of when I moved out of that apartment, I threw them away. You know, yeah. I kind of just tossed them. Those experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones that weren't so comfortable, all helped craft within me this person that looks at others and sees potential. And I learned how to persevere. But I think the best thing, Bruce, is, and this is what this book is all about, it's great when you have that, it's phenomenal. But I think one of the biggest difference between intellect and intelligence is the transferable quality of it. So I can be smart, great, that's a phenomenal intellectual, but if I speak above people's heads, what good is that knowledge, right? And so intelligence is being able to convey and connect that information, I believe. And so, yes, I've learned how to persevere and see the best and kind of redefine my situations. But I think the most Beautiful thing of that, of all of that, Bruce, is finding simple ways to help people realize that that's within them as well. And then we get a more just, inverted and equitable society because of it.
1: Speaking of connecting with others and helping others, I'd love to help you I'm so happy to be already working with a number of listeners as a mindfulness life coach and hypnotist. You might have heard of someone who's lost weight or quit smoking with the help of hypnosis. As a licensed hypnotist, I work with anyone struggling with an issue. Maybe it's sleep, maybe it's smoking or weight loss. Well, I've lost 35 pounds myself and kept it off using hypnosis. And now I'm offering a beta package and I'm really excited about this beta launch because it means big savings for you. And it means I get the opportunity to work with people like you and I have openings for only three people. So you need to act now. If you want to lose weight, I've created a video to help you called how to lose weight for good. Watch the short video and then book a quick call with me. And you can jump right in now and you'll get 50 percent off the price of the package so go to mindfulnessmode.com weight loss and if you just want to book a time and talk directly to me go to mindfulnessmode.com let's talk so i look forward to connecting with you now back to the show well rodney you came up with a lot of great metaphors for your book and you you have simple ways to communicate with your reader and Mindful tribe the book is called get off the cycle and run order it on on uh, Amazon order that book on amazon.com and I, I got the Kindle version of it and you know you can order the other other uh, paperback copy as well but my stomach, was just churning when i was reading that part about you you signed up for a physical challenge and then part of that was climbing up and being on this platform and you had to jump down (laughs) uh, into the water and it was a huge distance and you couldn't think about it you had to do it right away tell us about that and tell us about the metaphor oh my gosh Bruce, that was such a
0: tough one right so I, yes, I did climb up this thing. So I, I did this this race. I've done several of these obstacle challenge marathon races, right? Multi-miles, um, you know, 7, 10, 12 miles and climbing and jumping and crawling under barbed wire. And some of the, the obstacles, Bruce, are just a little bit less than humane, but we signed up for it because we're all crazy who people <laughs> who want to do this thing. One of them was wires that are hanging down. Um, and I forgot what it's called. Maybe it's called like the hot shot or something like that. But you have to navigate through these wires that are hanging down. And if you touch them, it's just a little, it's not, listen, it's nothing to kind of shut down your central nervous system, but it's a little reminder that, hey, these, these are live wires. Like, why do we sign up to do this? There's something wrong <laughs> with each of us, right? That have done it. But the one that Bruce is talking about, guys, so um, this huge platform, And I knew that a part of this whole experience was to climb up something high and jump off into this pool of water, right? I was ready for that. And when I say pool of water, I mean a huge hole in the ground, a huge, huge dugout that was full of muddy water. That's what I mean by pool. Let's just be clear. So um, I see it in a distance. I had run several miles, climbing, jumping ropes, you know, all this other kind of stuff kind of tired, kind of fatigued, ripped my pants. I had on long, kind of thin pants, ripped almost something sharp back there. We were running in the wilderness of uh, Eastern Maryland. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. called the Eastern Shore. And Bruce, I get to this obstacle and all these people, was maybe like 70 people crowded around with this one ladder up this platform. And so eventually I make my way to the ladder and I'm just gusto, right? And I climb up this thing. And I get to this platform and there's a bar and if you go under the bar, you have to jump, right? It's a very short little ledge there, and it's time to go. And so I was standing there, and there's a guy standing right there to kind of keep the line moving. And I went under, under the bar, and I looked down. Wally Coyote, Bruce, used to look down, and the ground would go, Yee! you know, right? He's yeah. And that, so I had that experience. I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? Like, why am I here? I went back under the bar and the guy's like, no, 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 no. Come on, sir. Let's keep it moving. Get under there. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm coming because, you know, my shoes untied. Let me give me, no excuses, right? So I went back under there and I'm standing at this ledge, Bruce. And I'm like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I jumped. I didn't mean to jump. I don't know what happened. He, I didn't get pushed. I jumped. My body betrayed me. So maybe we can, you got some services for that. I need some help because my body did that. And I'm in the air. And so I swim really well and I was falling, Bruce. I'm falling, falling, falling. And I'm like, okay, I got to time my breathing so that when I go under, I can swim to the surface. And I fell for so long, man. And my, my timing for my breath was off. Like I just, I saw I hit the water awkwardly. I went under and i was swimming to the top swimming to the surface and I'm not going anywhere I'm not I'm not making movement I swim really well and I'm trying to stroke and stride to get up there Bruce and it, I'm not and so eventually I break the surface and I'm like oh my gosh that almost killed me a lady's over there with an orange floated flotation device and she comes to me and she's like sir do you need some help in my mind Bruce I'm like ma'am listen I swim well Been doing it since I was nine years old I don't need your little floaty I just need to catch my breath I'm gonna make it that was my mind Yeah, My mouth said, I can't swim. That's what my mouth said. (laughs) (laughs) So if I could have a third party experience, I'm like, really, dude? Like, you're going to just make us look like that? I grab this thing like it's my grandma. Wow. She pulls me to the edge. I get out and I still have more running to do. But I share that story in the book and I share it everywhere I go because Steve Harvey he tells a story about jumping and, and that's like the way to get to success. Like sometimes you just have to jump. And I agree with that. Like sometimes you gotta go, but jumping doesn't make it better. Sometimes, sometimes, and this is what I mean by that. There's There could be this kind of concept that if I jump, everything will fall into place. If I take this leap, things will just level out. And sometimes you can jump like I did and be terrified the whole time. And then you hit the water and then your body betrays you and you don't, things don't line up just. Mm -hmm. And if we know that going into the jump, that this could still be scary. You prepare differently than thinking everything will be fine. All I have to do is press send on that application. All I have to do is text that person and say, I don't want to see them anymore. All I have to do is, like, sometimes we have this idea, maybe, that if I just get the gusto to take the step, everything will fall in place. But if we prepared each other, Bruce, that perhaps that's a step in the process and that the steps following that may also be equally as arduous, but it's along the same path to success, to different and better outcomes. We can prepare differently. And so... I encourage people, I learned this also from my mom, when she left my dad and she drove until she felt safe, she just jumped, right? That was her jumping. And we ended up in a city rescue mission. We didn't end up in a beautiful butterfly and bunnies bouncing, we ended up in a shelter. And it wasn't until years later that that got better. And if we teach people in the first grade Right in elementary and middle school and before they become young adults right if we teach them. That this is a marathon and during the marathon you get tired and you might feel twinges here, you might pull a muscle, you might get a cramp, and all of that is normal. We enter and engage life much differently than this idea that successful people have it. I and others like me don't. And if I try, it'll get better. And if it doesn't, I'm defeated, I give up. And I think that we cause a lot of undue harm to people we serve because maybe we don't complete that picture as well as we could.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I know that you talked in your book a lot about running and you you said sometimes we have to get off the Bicycle, and we have to run. And you even cited a 2007 study that showed that cyclists had lower bone Bone mineral density compared to runners. And so you're a runner, is that right? You you run. You run all the time.
0: I run every morning, Monday through Friday. Um, And I'm big on bikes. So I have this whole disclaimer in the middle, towards the end of the book, that says cycles aren't bad. Cycling isn't bad because the metaphor guys. that that Bruce and I keep talking, tossing back and forth, is you get off the cycle and you learn. Okay, so a cycle is any set of behaviors or patterns that repeat in our lives, right? These could be good or bad. Over and over again, I find myself with the same type of relationships, the same type of job experiences, the same type of same type, I find myself here. Those are cycles more than likely, we contribute to those cycles in ways that we are unconscious of, right? Subconsciously, we perpetuate these cycles. So the book starts off with getting us to identify what these cycles could be and what they could look like. And then as they move, as we move through the book, we get to the point where, okay, guys, we've said a hundred times this book, get off the cycle and run, get off the cycle and run. Why can't we just walk? Like, why can't I stop this abusive, non-productive cycle, be finished with it and be like, whew, me take a breather and let me walk. And the reason for that, and the reason why we got to run, and the reason why the book kind of promotes the benefits of running versus staying on the cycle of just walking is because in real life, if we're used to being on our little bike, no matter how small or cramped it is, no matter how rickety it is, if we're used to it and we get off and we just kind of walk a few steps, if it's hot outside or if it's cold or if it's raining or whatever it is, more than likely our brain is going to say, you know what To help you get out of this situation? Easy. Pick that cycle. Call that person. Just get another job just like it. Right. Go back to the cycle. And so running, when you get off the cycle and run, running always has purpose. It always has intent. No, a person that's running and we know this, Bruce, if you and I were eating lunch, right? You're in Canada, yes? Yes. If you and I were sitting outside enjoying a sandwich and a person walks by us, we're, we, we wouldn't maybe even notice the color of shirt they had on, right? Right. If you and I saw a person running as fast as they possibly could past our table, you and I are high alert. Why? What's going on? Running, exactly. it has purpose and intentionality behind it. So, if I'm really trying to have something different and better in my life, I need to move with intention and purpose. I need to really figure out where am I trying to go. I, I can't just stop that and not. I'm going to go back to it unless I insert something into my life. I have a buddy of mine. He's a big guy, right? big old big guy. He's a big guy. and He was like, "Riding, you know why diets don't work? I put this in a book, guys. He was like, you know why diets don't work? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. He was like, diets don't work because when he was like, when guys like me, when we get to work about 10:30, 11 o'clock, and that morning, it's time for us to pull up the menus locally and see what's what's out there. We're thinking about food, and when we plan a trip to go somewhere on vacation, we're thinking about where can we go that has the best eateries and the good spot, and do we need to get on the waiting list, and what are the reviews on Foodie.com and everything else. And so I'm like, really? That he was like, yes, man, it's a lifestyle. He was like, and when we go on a diet, we go to work, at about 10:30, 11 o'clock we start thinking, what places can we order from that allow us to eat the way we're eating now? We prepack our food, and if we go on vacation, we're thinking, okay, I, can, I gotta eat this, I can't eat that. He was like, nothing's changed about the mentality around food. I never considered that. And so running, getting off and running is just not hectic, frantic movement. It's the reason why we say purpose and intentionality because you either are trying to get to a new place or you're trying to get away from a place in a way that creates difference. Because if you're just moving, if I'm just, I'm going to end up right back there, man. And so I tried to make that as simple. On the front of the book, Bruce, uh, on the hardcover, it says, if you can understand how a bike works, you can understand
1: how life works.
0: And that's the whole idea.
1: Well, you just kept delivering metaphor after metaphor, and it was really enjoyable to read. And you had so many personal stories. You're such a great communicator. Were you a great communicator as a little kid, too? So we have
0: this wonderful phrase called a class clown. And um, I would always get in trouble, Bruce, because uh, first grade, second grade, I mean, pretty much all the way up until high school, the notes on my report cards and the markings and those kind of things. It would always say, "His grades are so great. If we could just get him to stop talking, <laughs> I, he's such a good. You know, he really wants to help other people. But sometimes we just need little Rodney to kind of finish his work and sit quietly. I I got in more trouble for teacher comments along those lines, Bruce. I used to say, like, "Can y'all put on my report card that I did bad in math or something? Like, can I?" Can I get the feedback that I need study help? I never needed study help. I was always the guy that was making folks laugh, trying to help getting up out my seat, going to other people. So I guess I always had a way to communicate, but I didn't always know how to effectively focus, focus it. So it was just kind of all over the place. So, you know, maybe now we're getting some good out of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I'm a teacher uh-huh. and I can tell you that when I when I experience a child in a classroom that has that much personality and they're talking and they're, they're just filled with personality, I see it as a positive. And I remember w- when I was in my early teaching career, I was a music teacher uh-huh. and I thought if I could just have a, a band, a school band where they just did what I told them. They just played the notes, they played yeah. the rhythms, they played their instruments. And then one year I had that band and I was like, wow, they're kind of quiet. It and they just uh-huh. do what i tell them to and then as the year progressed i thought but you know they're missing that personality and i, I and it just taught me to appreciate kids like you wow. you know that have all that personality they do talk they do tell jokes they are the class clown i really appreciate that what instrument do you play bruce I play saxophone, I play piano, uh, and then, of course, I I went to university and learned all the instruments so I could teach the kids. And it was so much fun being a music teacher. One of my best
0: teachers was a was Mr. Welch. And Mr. Welch taught me how to play the trumpet. Cool. Um, Yeah, I played trumpet when I was from. I still play trumpet, um, but I started in seventh grade. I thought I was going to be a saxophonist. Right. I just had my I thought it was just a beautiful instrument. Yeah. And I couldn't get a sound out of it. So we did a test. Do you, do educators still do it this way, Bruce? I don't know. Yeah. You have all of the mouthpieces laid out and the drumsticks and different things and the double yes. reed. And, and so we just went through like, womp, and, <laughs> and I couldn't make hide or hair out of that, out of that saxophone. I couldn't do a clarinet and like no reed instruments. Here's the weird thing. If I flipped it upside down and put the reed on my top lip, I could get it. I could honk it. Yeah. Right. But that's not the proper way to do it. So, and then I got to the trumpet, and I was like, I don't want to play the trumpet. I want to play saxophone. And I made the most beautiful just mouthpiece, right? Just. And uh, he was like, "You're a trumpet player," and I'm like, "No, I'm not a trumpet player. I'm a." (laughs) 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 And uh, I went from being maybe, we, I think we had like 11 trumpets. So I think I started off being like ninth chair, 10th chair. Mm-hmm. And I remember towards the end of my seventh grade year, Bruce, doing the test and getting to sit in that first chair and being like, how did I get, but I played every day. I loved it. I would play the same little, <sighs> I have notes and my C scales and I played every single day after school and I was so loud and obnoxious and I would play through the neighborhood. And And I remember challenging for that first chair and it felt so natural, man. But Mr. Welch, last story I'll tell because I know I tell a thousand stories, Bruce, but maybe you are the Mr. Welch to tons of students out there. We had uh, this percussion instrument and we called it the quads, but I don't remember what it is. But it was—I mean, I don't remember exactly what maybe the official name is. But and it was like a—I don't know—we called it the quads, right, or the tri. Right. It was three. And um, I used to want to play those. So, I, man, I wanted to play those. And I literally went home one day, and I made my own drumsticks. My dad had like these little sticks, and I wrapped this felt material around it with tape and I just made these most homemade bootleg looking things and I came to school early one day and I knew that I had been practicing the rhythms with pencils and pens in my hands for months so I could do the rhythm of our school cadence and one morning I got up and I did it there while everybody was milling around and Mr. Welch so I'm picturing you right so everybody picture Bruce doing this right so Bruce comes out of his office and he leans his head out And he sees me, and and I knew I was gonna get in trouble, Bruce. I knew I was about to get in trouble. It wasn't my instrument. I'm not using the proper mallets. And he just leaned and he went back in. And then when the bell rang, everybody had to go to class. He came up to me and I was like, ah. (laughs) he said, "Um, where'd you get those? I said, I made them. He's like, you made those, huh? Who helped you? I was like, I just, he was like, you sound good on those. And that's all he said he wasn't a man of a lot of words for me he literally said you got something kid keep it up wow hit the world to me
1: that's fantastic what a great story great story i've met so many kids that had tons of personality and they played the trumpet the trumpet is one of those instruments it's out there if you're going to play the trumpet like you are going to be noticed yes it's one of those it is one of those that's the way the trumpet is. I just oh, love man. that. Well, you know, 2020 has been, a uh an incredible year in, yeah. in a lot of different ways. And one of the things I want to talk to you about Rodney is yeah. black lives matter because yeah. it's just been so, I mean, as a Canadian and I, and I hear what's going on in the news and yeah. hear what's going on around. I, my heart just feels so much pain, yeah. you know, when I see how people are treated and how black people are treated, what are your thoughts on black lives matter? Are things improving? Is it getting better? Well, I think one of the best things that happened with
0: 2020 was everybody was home and stable, seated enough to see things bubbling to the surface, right? And so a lot of that stuff was unfortunate, but we were in a space to be receptive to it. We didn't have much else to do. I wasn't always a big fan of the phrase Black Lives Matter because it was so divisive. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, I I've held elected office in Baltimore. I've done a lot of social activism and educational activism, and you know, just I've really been on a. When we had here, there was a situation with Freddie Gray, and it was a bunch of riots, and he was. That name is associated with the Black Lives Matter and Hands Up, Don't Shoot, and those kind of slogans that have gone on over the past recent years. I've been a part of those things in different capacities. So. What I mean particularly about this one, Freddie Gray here in Baltimore, there was a huge riot in a very localized part of town, right? Mm-hmm. CNN and the news outlets made it seem like Baltimore was burning, right? Mm-hmm. Baltimore, there's riots, they're crazy. I'm looking out of my window, my wife and I have five children, my five kids are out there playing with other kids, about 20 kids in the neighborhood and bikes and hula hoops and idyllic childhood. And I look on the news and I see that Baltimore is burning. And I turn around and look out my window and I see all of these kids. And so just being mindful of media perceptions and messages that are being portrayed. Well, the next day I took my sons and I met a group of people and we went out and we helped clean up those neighborhoods. And when I tell you that Baltimore showed up, Bruce, I mean, old and young and male and female and people across all sorts of ethnicities and genders. We were out there. It's probably about a thousand people. And it was tons of media outlet. And it was just good footage that was captured, but we came together. And so anyway, that has been my ways that I've been involved. And I never really took to the whole idea of Black Lives Matter as a phrase, just because like I told you, it was divisive. Mm-hmm. One day in real life, across the street from my home, there's an elderly couple. Uh, I, re- I reserve their names right now, but across the street from my house, two in the morning, there are thick, billowing orange flames pouring out of the top window. So our houses face each other, right? When thick, thick, thick flames and on the bottom floor out of the living room, they have like a bay, beautiful bay window. Um, It's like covered in smoke in the inside, Mm -hmm. dark, thick smoke. And I just knew, and I and I don't mean any harm, but the older they're in their eighties, the older gentleman doesn't move very well, um, and I knew that they it was no way for that house to be like this, and he got out of there, right? And that was just it was crushing. Um, tons of fire. The, my neighbor, knocked, Rodney, 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 got to come out. That's how we came out. And it turns out that some right before that happened before it turned into a big flame, the grandma had a notion and she got him and they moved out the back door and was not in there at all. Right. Oh, wow. Why do I bring this story up right now? Shortly after then, I saw a phrase online that connected this whole thing for me seeing my neighbors who I dearly love right and I always tease the, the grandma because you know she comes outside and and I'm like you ready to race me now I make jokes about us you know doing a foot race and she's like Roddy you're not ready for me and I just I have an affinity for them that's just un- unbreakable well the quote that I saw online Bruce said about black that connected this with black lives matter for me was this if your house was on fire and the fire department came to put it out. But before they could do it, people came and says, they came out and said, Hey, all houses on this block matter, right? Why are you focusing on that? All these houses matter. Had I saw that quote, Bruce, two months prior, two years prior, it wouldn't have landed the same. Seeing my neighbors who I thought, were incinerated. If I can just be honest,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I knew that they didn't make it out. Seeing er- And then when they did get out, I was a part of, uh, all of us came together to help them get connected to service. They needed you know, the Red Cross and shelter and all this stuff. Had someone came in that moment, literally physically, and said, hey, I know you're trying to put that house out, but other houses on this block need attention. At 2 in the morning, it's offensive. And I I didn't appreciate that to be Mm -hmm. honest until I had that experience. And so for me, every single human is precious, every single one. And one of the things I teach my children is if you can't receive a lesson from a three-year-old toddler, if, if a homeless person can't talk to you in a way that you're receptive right? Then you're not, you're not as far along your path as you think. So I teach that. I believe that we all matter. And also, in addition to all of us matter, there are times where that house is on fire and it needs our collective attention to get things, you know, equitable again.
1: And so that's kind of my take on it. Um, and that's the way I kind of contribute to the movement. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us, Rodney. I really appreciate it. Rodney, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a powerful influence to you as far as mindfulness is concerned? As
0: far as mindfulness is concerned,
1: um, there's a guy named James Worthy.
0: And James Worthy actually got me started on this whole path. And, but I have two other ones, Mr. D, my, my pops, not my dad, um, but there's a guy who I call my pops. Those people have been phenomenal in helping me stay grounded.
1: All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Rodney?
0: I didn't always know how I was feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah. The word you use is, I, I don't like it. I feel bad mindfulness has made me kind of step, take a step back and say, how do you, what is feeling bad? Are you sad? Are you disappointed? Right? Do you feel abandoned? What do you feel? And once you know what you feel being able to take the steps to address it, that's what mindfulness has given me for my feelings. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Every single morning. I can't believe you brought that up, man. Every single morning I count I believe there's so much
1: power in something so simple. I do it every morning. I agree with you completely. If you could recommend a book yes. related to mindfulness and, and your book is terrific. We've been yes. talking about that, but what book would you recommend? Rodney?
0: There's a book, Bruce, by, uh, by Malcolm Gladwell called outliers. And that book, let me see, there are so many other things that goes into success, right? It seems like people just pop up out of nowhere. But if we were mindful about how we approached our actions, kind of like the, the examples in the book, maybe we could all get there as well.
1: Are there any apps that you use or that you know of that can help with mindfulness? Yeah, um, there's one called Calm. Um, yeah. You're probably aware of it. Uh, I use that app
0: mostly for the rain sound. I don't know what it is, Bruce, about natural rain, but putting it on and just let it has a cleansing aspect to it. I know it's just audio. And so putting it on when I'm thinking, when I'm eating kind of cleanses the atmosphere. I recommend it to everybody.
1: Ah, I like that. I I love when it's raining and I I go to bed and I can hear the rain outside the window. I just absolutely love that sound, too. It's cleansing,
0: man. It's cleansing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Rodney, as we wrap up the interview, and I just want to say it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and share this time with you and and to read your book, too. And I highly encourage you, Mindful Tribe, to get out there and and just get a hold of this book. And I know Rodney has something he wants to share with us as well, as, as far as the book is. But what final words of wisdom would you like to share with our audience in relation to mindfulness today Rodney absolutely Uh, my favorite quote is by a gentleman that we know
0: uh, Einstein genius and Einstein says if you can't explain it simply you don't really get it yet yourself Mm. and sometimes mindfulness and success and becoming different and better it seems like such this huge outlandish task but really it's so simple and it's as simple as breathing.
1: And it's as simple as riding a bike, Einstein. Great quote, yes. great quote. Well, you mentioned before I hit record that you had something you wanted to share with with our audience. Can you tell us about that? Yes,
0: yes. so the book, Get Off the Cycle and Run has all of these great stories, right? But sometimes we don't always have the time to just sit down and listen to Rodney explain one more story. And so what if we had a version that just gave us those bullets, those nuggets, right? And so the book is called Get Off the Cycle and Run. Well, I have a shorter digest version and it's called Get Off the Cycle and Sprint, right? Quick run, right? Mm -hmm. Right to the point. And it's literally going to be made available this week. And so um, if you guys would like, I would love to gift it to you. Anybody that's connected to the mindfulness tribe, anybody that has been a, a friend of Bruce for a long time or short time, or uh, it would be my honor to share this with us. So if you tweet me or Instagram me, um, all of my social media is at Rodney C Burris. Rodney C, the letter C Burris, B-U-R-R-I-S. At Rodney C Burris, if you message me and you mention Bruce, Uh, it will be my honor to make sure that we get you that book. It'll be an e-copy of the book and uh, I would love for you to have it, man. My free gift to anybody that's connected to the tribe.
1: Rodney, thanks for your generosity. Thanks. Thanks for writing the book and thanks for being on Mindfulness Mode today. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for all you do too, man. Yeah, you're welcome. All the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, and thanks to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Hey, Erica, we really appreciate you, and Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer, or a coach, or a counselor, or someone who just loves helping people, Consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can become a hypnotist, just like I did. Contact the team over at cascadehypnosiscenter.com. And if you'd like to work with me and break through some of those mind blocks maybe lose weight maybe quit smoking maybe it's something else i would be so thrilled to work with you and as you've already heard on the show i'm doing an exciting new beta launch i've got room for three people so reach out to me just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk for a free short conversation about what I can do to help you. I look forward to hearing from you. That's mindfulnessmode.com/let's talk. So now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness. Stay in the mode